Hey Watchers, today we are once again exploring the bizarre comedic side of the Coen Brothers, and no one could play the lead character in this film better than the Baron of Bizarre himself, Nicolas Cage. So hold on to your huggies, you jailbirds, because it's time for 1987's Raising Arizona. Watch Podcast, the show where we discuss classic, cult, and modern classic movies. We're your hosts, Jeremy and Josh Baruto, and we review movies that are at least 10 years old. And fair warning, we're big on spoilers here, straight from the get-go. We rate these movies in four categories. Number one, the level of impact and success it had when it was released. Number two, how relevant is it today? Number three, our own personal enjoyment of this movie. And number four, is it a midnight watch? And what is a midnight watch? It's a film which completely captures your attention, drawing you in. No matter what time or what part you start watching the movie, you have to finish it. Well, hey guys, I just want to welcome our first guest of the the year, uh, also season two. We have uh, Alden Olmsted, who is, uh, I've known him originally as a BMX bike entrepreneur years ago, which he's still doing that, and then later on as a filmmaker, I remember going to, uh, he would throw these eight millimeter film festivals in his backyard. Those were super fun. Uh, <laughs> I forgot. Oh, wow. I forgot you were at one of those. Yeah. That was a while ago. But yeah. Um, <laughs> I think you came by and you filmed me and Chris uh, recording at that studio. And, uh, and we made did a little a, music video. That's right. Made a music video for him. Yeah, oh, I did okay. a music video of you. And I think it was the early days of YouTube. And I didn't understand the you know, compression versus actual size. So I think I need to re-upload it as a, at that, a higher resolution because super eight millimeter actually is, you know, if it's scanned in digitally, it's a high resolution, right. but I think the version of your song on YouTube is, uh, you know, it's, it's not oh. up to our current standards. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, it looks, it's got a cool retro look to it. So it's, you know, it's got yeah. its own charm. <laughs> do you still, yeah. do you still film stuff with super eight? Uh, it's been a couple years. I thought I was never going to do it again. And then I got I, a friend. I was getting married at the lighthouse uh, near the Golden Gate Bridge two years ago. And I told her I'm not really doing it. And she just bugged me and bugged me and begged. And so I caved and did it. Yeah. So I did it. Uh, that was about a year and a half ago. It turned out great. And that one's on YouTube too. And it, it was one of those foggy days in San Francisco. So everything is white and gray. And then the bright flowers and the wedding dress it, I mean, it pops. It just looks cool. Wow. That so, is awesome. That is super cool. So yeah, Alden, that's one of the main reasons we brought you on the show is just your film background. You just released your most recent project, 30 Bikes, which is the, the story of your bike company, Homestead Bikes. Yep. And uh, you want to tell us a little bit about that and then we'll go from there. Sure. Uh, sure. That's a story I never, never thought I would tell. Um, but yeah, I dropped out of college in, in the early nineties to start a BMX bike company. And I did. And, uh, after about four or five years, I realized, you know, running it by myself, um, was, was pretty tough. But the, the main thing that made it tough was that I had paid, used all my college money, uh, what would have been my college money if I hadn't dropped out to make uh, a, a batch of 50 bikes. And the company made 30 of the bikes, which is why the movie's called 30 Bikes. They made 30 and then they sold the company without telling me. And so they, they stiffed me on 20 bikes. And so the movie is about me trying to find what happened to the 30 that, that did get made and in, as you see in the movie, we find some of the bikes. We actually find them in attics and garages and uh, closets. And the movie turned out great. And it just um, obviously then the the pandemic came along. So I wrote a book, which I just uh, found a publisher for. And the book is called A Virus Ate My Movie. And it, so it's a little bit of a mix of uh, low budget filmmaking, as well as telling the story of, you know, dropping out of college to start this bike company. So I'm hoping that the book will be out in about three months. Yeah, I'm excited. Oh, I'm That's, excited, excited to yeah. check it out. Yeah, yeah, I can't wait to see it either. The The movie was awesome. I, Being a local guy, you know, growing up in, you know, where you grew up, it was very cool to see um, a lot of the stuff in the movie, a lot of the people in the movie I know um, or know of. 
Um, the, the first time I ever saw you, I think was back in 95. I was at, I went to Mount Gilead Bible camp, uh, summer camp, their high school camp. And the BMX track was brand new that year. And so you were there running it. I just, I remember you jumping the Creek and doing some other fun, crazy stuff, which <laughs> but that was That's my first right. introduction to you, but it was that really was fun cool. seeing, yeah. seeing the movie and just kind of reliving all of that. And it's just awesome story. Uh, anybody, out there interested in it, please go check it out. It's, it's a very, very fun movie. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I actually, uh, I, I did watch it as well and oh, I thought did. it was, thought it was really good. And since I didn't know you before this interview, it was kind of nice, like getting kind of get to know you through the, just through the, the movie itself. And so it was really good. And I was waiting for some like Quentin Tarantino vengeance at the end, but it, it, <laughs> uh, it, it well, worked you know, out. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, we, I really I liked it. Thank you very much. Now we, I, I don't want to go to, you know, we want to keep our podcast on the, the topic. For this, this <laughs> right. one, but but I, I will tell you the short story is that, is that the two, the two twin brothers that helped me film the movie, we each of us had our own opinion about um, what's our plan B. If the, if the guy at the end of the movie uh, you know, <laughs> slams the door in the face, I mean, we had all kinds of scenarios. Um, we, I will tell you that we had him sign the waiver uh, to, you know, uh, allow his rights to be used, his image to be used in the movie. We had him sign that before I confronted him about that. Oh, uh, okay. Question because. Wow. And it turned out great. It turned out great. And maybe we'll do another episode on that later on. But um, right. It, hey, this is we, this is Tennessee. Yeah. There could have been firearms involved. So. They, you know, <laughs> yeah, I don't want to ruin it. I don't want to do a spoiler alert because. I right. Some, uh, yeah, check I, it I, out. An executive from Vans actually is watching the movie tonight. Um, oh, well, wow. I, forgot, I forgot to tell you that. Yeah. And if that, that goes awesome. well, then maybe I'll get a limited distribution on their channel or in their stores. I don't know what it's going to look like, but let's hope, let's hope that he likes it tonight. Yeah, man. Fingers crossed. That yeah. is that is super exciting. That would be totally legit. All right. Well, let's uh, let's go ahead to the main agenda here. We are reviewing Raising Arizona. Now, this is Alden's pick. Actually, we were asking him to to pick a movie that was, meant a lot to him. This and this movie came out in 1987. It was directed by the Coen Brothers. It was written by the Coen Brothers. The cinematographer was Barry Sonnefield, who went on to direct the Men in Black trilogy and Adams Family movies. Not the newest one, but the live action ones. And then the score was by Carter Burrell and the budget. They had aimed to do it under five million, but it looks like it was about six million was the end budget. And then the box office made twenty nine point two million dollars. So this was from what the Coen brothers were saying. This was one of their their most profitable movies, actually, because most of their movies kind of become cult movies later. But this one actually made made some serious money for them. And so that was pretty cool. We've got the cast here with Nicolas Cage, Holly Hunter, Randall Craig Cobb, John Goodman, Francis McDormand, William Forsyth, Terry Wilson, Sam McMurray, and TJ Kunn. So we got a fair amount of really good actors in here. I was, I totally forgot that William Forsyth was in this and he's almost unrecognizable in this for the roles yeah. that he does later in the movies. Cause he's always <laughs> like the, the super hardcore captain. I mean, he's with Nicolas Cage in The Rock, which we reviewed last year. And right. so I thought that was cool. But yeah, because I always I always think of him in his older roles. So it was it was really cool you know, right. seeing, you know, young, young Forsyth. It's pretty yeah. awesome. I just gotta say real quick, like well, we since I had a baby of, for during the break, my wife and I well it's my wife obviously, but um we <laughs> um the whole part though where they're talking in the movie about like, oh you gotta get the dip tat shot and you blah 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 and then <laughs> later they're like, Get out of the house and then William Forsyth's like do they need to get the dip tap shot? I thought that was so funny. Cause I was like, that's so relevant in my life right now. <laughs> my, uh, it was good. So the first question that we normally have is as figuring out like, where was the first time you saw this movie? Uh, let's go with the guest first. So Alden, when was, when was the first time you saw this? Uh, you know, I wish I could have said it was in a, a you know, a cool drive-in or a movie theater, but I believe this would have been a, a VHS rental back in the day. Yeah. Nice. I, and I would, and I think it was in the early nineties. I, I think it was one of those, you know, bizarro movies, which I, I, I will just tell you a side plug for video stores. Um, you know, obviously we, we all love streaming. I love streaming. I don't, I'm not talking about the good old days, but there was, there was something fun about picking out a movie 
it was a process that we've that is totally gone. The the, oh, the yeah. art of like the art of selecting the movie in some ways was it was part of the whole evening experience. Yes. It really was. Yeah, and, I remember um, so many hours wandering around Blockbuster or home video yeah. or Bradley video or yeah. You know, so <laughs> I created I had created a, um, I just remembering all this. Now I had created a 15 minute rule with all my friends. I said, if we don't find something in 15 minutes and this rule applied every time we went to get a movie and we don't find something in 15 minutes, we're going to get something bad or something we've already seen. And we're paying again for, um, because I realized that there, you, there's a little bit of spontaneity the where you just kind of need to take a chance. And, uh, right. I think, I, I still think it was something related to that image of Nicolas Cage, which is the great opening image, which is part of the great story structure of this movie. That Nicolas Cage Hawaiian shirt scene oh, with the yeah. shot. I think it's on the back. Maybe I'm just guessing now. I think it's on the back of the DVD or the video. I just think that we just thought, what the heck is this movie? And, you know, um, without going into a long list, I mean, how many movies have the opening credits don't come in until 11 or 12 minutes? I mean, is that, you right. Know, then because you're like, wait, what the heck just happened? Was that, right. that whole, the first 10, 12 minutes was just the opening. What are we in for? <laughs> you know? So we were sucked in, man. I mean, we were just, when that, when the opening credits happened, right. we were <laughs> just loving it. Did you know who the Coen brothers were before you watched this movie? Um, you know, I don't think so. As far as it, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have known that they were in the same category as like, uh, you know, a Spielberg or, well, you know, the guy that directed Rocky or something. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have thought about it in that way. I might've thought, yeah, I, I don't think I did. No. So you said it was early nineties when you watched it? I think probably what we would do is just a rental. Yeah. I, I don't remember seeing it. Um, yeah. And I, and I will say that this is the, again, I'm not I'm just thinking about this all today, but I think this was the first movie that I could point to that said where I thought to myself, wow, that's a movie that, that I would like to have written or have put together like that. Mm. I think this might be the movie that, that got me, you know, it did, it, it, it's not like I watched it and then went, you know, making movies the next day. I can't tell some right. story like that, but I think it was the first movie that made me think, wow, I guess you really can, you know, you don't have to have a budget of star Wars. You can make a, a crazy movie with these amazing, amazing uh, side characters. I mean, obviously right. Nicholas Cage and Holly Hunter are great, but like you just mentioned, William Forsyth and John Goodman. I mean, this the, the B and the C and the D characters in this movie are, are fantastic. Like, I mean, I would put them up against any, right? You know, they're I just, they're, they're just so colorful and amazing. Yeah. And I think, I think if there's one thing that the Coen brothers have done is like, there are no throwaway actor moments. There are no throwaway characters. Yeah. In, I feel in any of their movies. I mean, like you said, even the, even, Tiny little things. I mean, uh, you know, Brother Wire at the there's Jillian Welch asking to buy the, you know, the, the Soggy Bottom Boys record in the grocery, in the, you know, in the store. And it's like, that's, you know, that's Jillian Welch. That was a, I don't know, just everything is meaningful in their movies like that. But anyways, how about you, Jeremy? What's the first time you saw this? I don't remember, honestly. Um, I know it was probably like 12 years ago. I was on um, my my kick of just trying to watch tons of movies from the library. And so I rented as many Coen brothers movies as I could. And I, I don't think I had seen a brother where art thou um, yet, but um, yeah, I watched this movie though. And I was, I was like, not expect I'd seen there are more crime ones like blood simple or I think no um, Miller's crossing. Yeah. Yeah. Miller's yeah. crossing like that stuff. And so watching this and then that, yeah, like you're saying that opening opening yodel thing, that's 11 <laughs> minutes in, I was just like, what is this? You know, a little turn to the right like that. Yeah. I just, I was yeah. like, I was hooked. I was like, this is awesome. And so um, I, I don't remember exactly when, but um, I, I said probably like 10, 12 years ago. What about you, Josh? Well, I'm definitely the Johnny come lately here. This is, I've seen almost all of their movies and I never disliked any of them. Some I love more than others, but this was one that I'd seen like bits and pieces on TV for years, but I'd never actually sat down and just watched it front to back. And, uh, yeah. So I finished it today. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of 10 minutes ago. <laughs> yeah. Right before Alden showed up. And nice. there we go. <laughs> nice. But yeah, That's, it was, uh, well, it was, then, 
your opinion might be interesting then because you you know you like like your brother said i mean you've got uh you know movies like fargo if if that was if fargo was your first coen brothers movie you know it's it's a great movie obviously amazingly acted and a great script but it's a little on the darker uh, right. side in some ways and so it's easy to forget their, um, you know, that their lightheartedness, especially in yes. crossing and those blood simple. Uh, right. Again, they're well shot. They're amazing movies, but um, yeah. this one's a little more like I would put this, if I was going to put up a trilogy, I would put big Lebowski with along with this and Oh brother, where art thou? For sure. Just as, lady, as a lady, yeah. lady killers is pretty good too, though, as far as. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, as far as the comical side, but that not as slapsticky as yeah. which this one is. Oh, we'll get into that. Let's uh, right, right. Yeah. We're getting ahead of we're ourselves. Ahead of ourselves. <laughs> yeah. Hey. Yeah. Oh. All right. Well, yeah. And to to explain this story is it's a weird one. So, Josh, why don't you give us that synopsis? I think that'll probably yes. be the best way to do it. Once again, <laughs> everyone, throw some throw some cash at Wikipedia so they don't shut down because we're uh, we're going to use them again here for the because <laughs> we're the, too lazy to write our own right. synopsis so, so keep them so alive here's, here's the rundown all right here we go convenience store robber h.i hi mcdonough and police officer edwina or ed meet after she takes his mug shots during one of his multiple stays in prison during a later stay in prison, High learns that Ed's fiance has left her and later proposes to her after being released. After marrying, they move into a desert mobile home and High gets a job in a machine shop. They want to have children, but Ed is inf inf infertile and, they, and they're unable to adopt a child due to High's criminal record. After learning of the Arizona Quints, quintuplet sons of locally famous furniture magnate Nathan Arizona, High and Ed become jealous and hatch a plan to kidnap one of the babies, whom they believe to be Nathan Arizona Jr. Upon returning home with Nathan Jr., they are greeted by High's old cellmates, Gail and, is it, is it Evel? Is that what it was? Evel, Evel? Yeah, Evel? I think so. Evel, Evel Snotes, who convince High to shelter them after their recent escape from prison, also tempting him to return to his old life of crime. That evening, High has an intense nightmare of a monstrous biker, Leonard Smalls. The next day, during a visit from High's foreman, Glenn and his family, High angrily punches Glenn in the face after he suggests that he and High exchange wives, costing him his job. That night, High succumbs to the temptation to rob a convenience store while going to buy diapers for Nathan Jr., infuriating Ed and nearly leading to his arrest. When Glenn returns to the, uh, the next day to fire High, he reveals that he has deduced that High and Ed kidnapped Nathan Jr. and threatens to turn them in unless they agree to give custody of the child to him and his wife. After Gail and Evel overhear this conversation, they kidnap Nathan Jr. themselves, forcing High and Ed to band together to rescue him. Meanwhile, Leonard Smalls approaches Nathan, Arizona, and offers to bring back his son for $50,000, but decides to sell Nathan Jr. on the black market when Arizona refuses to pay. Gail and Evel accidentally leave Nathan Jr. behind at a bank shortly after robbing it, nearly allowing Smalls to capture Nathan Jr. shortly before High and Ed arrive to rescue him. In the ensuing struggle, Ed grabs Nathan Jr. while High holds Smalls back and ultimately manages to kill him by pulling the pin on one of the hand grenades in his belt. Feeling remorseful for their actions, High and Ed sneak into the Arizona home to return Nathan Jr. to his parents, but they're caught by Nathan Arizona before they can sneak back out. After learning why High and Ed took his son, Arizona sympathizes with their predicament and decides not to turn them in, advising them to sleep on it when he learns that High and Ed are considering splitting up. In the final scene, High lies down to sleep beside Ed. He has a series of prophetic dreams about the future fates of his friends. Gail and Evel re willingly return to prison after realizing that they aren't ready to return to society. Glenn is ticketed by a Polish-American police officer after offending him with an ethnic joke. And Nathan Jr. eventually becomes a football star after getting a football for Christmas from a kindly couple who wishes to remain unknown. The dream ends with an elderly couple, implied to be high in ed, enjoying a holiday visit from a large family of children and grandchildren. Okay. And that is the rundown. 
<laughs> so let me put a, give a little bit of trivia with this real quick. So the Coen brothers, Francis McDormand and Holly Hunter, they all knew each other like pretty well. And then of course the Coen brothers, I think it was Ethan helped edit evil dead. So that one scene when Mrs. Arizona finds out that Nathan jr is missing, like where the camera is all crazy and goes straight into the, the house that's straight from evil dead, like that style. Oh, that's and, what I thought this whole movie, right. I just got to say yeah. all of the action shots and especially the, first person point of view with the camera just you know tracking right um where somebody would be going it's straight up sam raimi and yeah, I, I had to do a little research myself i'm all they had to you know know yeah. each other and then i find out they'd worked with each other but i know they were inspired by classic slapstick you know directors back in the 30s and 40s but my gosh especially this movie yeah. more than any of their other movies it's it's they had to have been vibing with sam raimi because it's it looks like evil dead the way the action shots are well they worked with him on the uh crime wave remember like two years yeah. before this yeah they were they were close at the time i'm not sure like well, i'm sure they're probably fine cool still but i was surprised with this movie with nicholas cage for example like this his character is like nicholas cage playing this character is perfect yeah. And just it, it's perfect. Like he's just wild. He's restrained at different parts. And I was wondering, like, why was he not in other Coen brother movies? Like, he just seemed like he would be a perfect fit. But apparently they had creativity differences with the Coen brothers where he was putting some input. But the Coen brothers had this so meticulously planned out that they just totally ignored his creative input. And so, <laughs> Shut him down. yeah, so they didn't work with him again. They, they said it was that it was good working with him, but they just they haven't worked with him since, which I think was actually kind of a disappointment because i think that he yeah. would have done amazing if he continued on because you know like john goodman and right. um helen hunt and stuff like they're in other ones and john goodman's in like every other coen brother movie right um, well francis mcdormand i swear i think it's is oh yeah every single one of his, their well, movies francis mcdormand is married to one of the coen brothers well there you go there yeah, we go <laughs> <laughs> but, but yes no nicholas cage i know it, it i i don't I, I do. I could see that the Coen brothers um, speaking of what Josh was saying, that there's there's no wasted images. Also in this movie there, you get the feeling that there's no wasted dialogue. Yeah. Every yes. single or you were saying, sorry, Josh, that there's no wasted characters. There's no wasted dialogue. Every single line relates to something that's going to happen later or right. that's something that happened. I mean, it's just. It, it really is just a, a course almost. It's like a, it's like a crash course in uh, dialogue and, and, and in plot, how, how plot can come out through the dialogue and how great that is. Um, yes. And so I could understand them not wanting any input because this of, of all the movies that they've done to me, this one just feels like it doesn't have one wasted shot uh, dialogue or character. Everybody is just, they're exactly where they're supposed to be. Right. Yeah. You know, no matter what the stories that happen to get them there, the, the obviously the editing, you know, makes it tighter, but still, right. I mean, it's just, it's, it's just a finely tuned machine and there's not even a drip of oil anywhere. Right. I, it's so funny. I completely agree with you, but having just freshly researched the movie today, I found out that, um, uh, Roger Ebert, basically said the exact opposite of what you said. <laughs> he thought there, well, yeah. Siskel loved it. Siskel said it, was, said it was great. He gave it a thumbs up and Ebert was just like, it goes a little too long in parts where it doesn't need to. And there's dialogue that doesn't need to be. And I'm just yeah. like, which I completely disagree with him like yeah. you. It's just, it's hilarious. But again, this was, I mean, I don't know. I did. I mean, this is my first time seeing the movie and I've already seen so many of their other movies and I still, you know, really enjoyed it. So I don't know if it was just a taste thing that he wasn't ready for. Or, well, I, you know what I, I thought about, I thought that about big Lebowski when I, big Lebowski, big, big Lebowski took me like three watchings to really enjoy it. I, for right. some okay. reason it felt it, 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 it's like I wanted to like it and it just felt kind of just like, you know, the dude didn't really care. So why should I care? Right. And yeah. I don't know. It just, and so maybe it was something like that. It just, I think they did such a good job at making it look so bizarro. Yeah. That, that that's why, you know, and I can talk about it later, but this is the movie that made me believe before I, after I made my first movie, but before I started writing screenplays and becoming a, a, a little bit of a teacher, this movie made me a believer in story structure because it's, 
it's hidden and yet they follow the basic story structure of 99% of movies. They follow it to a T in this movie, but you mm-hmm. never know it because it, it appears to be so crazy and bizarre, right. but mm-hmm. it's, it's actually not, it's just there. This is movie is a testament to their genius at right. hiding the amazing, like very um, tight, tight, tight structure. So I give Roger Ebert a little bit of a pass on that one. Right. Well, <laughs> well I know it's, he sometimes will change his opinion. Yeah, yeah that's, you're, that's very true. He's, he's humble enough to know when he's wrong or he was, but I, I think too, it's like every single one of their movies becomes a cult classic. And I feel like it's a lot of their movies. You had like the big Lebowski, which I, I agree with you. I think it took me a couple of times before I started to really see the genius of it and appreciate it. But I, that's gotta be for a lot of people because their movies, you know, they do become these legendary cult classics. And I, unless you're just a huge fan from the get go and you just, you know what you're getting into, mm-hmm. I could see where maybe it takes people a little bit, you know, a couple of watches to, to realize and to grab on what's happening. Well, you have to remember, too, though, before this, the only thing they were known for was that the hard crime drama Blood Simple. And so for them to do a completely opposite, like wacky movie. So Roger Ebert's expecting another tight like crime movie and he gets Nicolas Cage with his like Woody Woodpecker <laughs> hair. And he's, you know, for the whole time. And, and so, tattoo, yeah. yeah, the tattoo, yeah. I, I could get see like, tattoo, Ed. Get tattoo, Ed. <laughs> I, I could see why he it was just like, didn't like it. And it makes sense because like, we're coming at this knowing that the Coen brothers make really wacky comedies and then they make really gritty crime movies. And so we kind of expected that going into it. But if you went into this cold yeah. Turkey, not knowing anything about it, that would be, that would be pretty something. And I, I, I do really, I, I think the Coen brothers are really special because they completely commit to whatever they're going to do. And that takes a lot yeah. of guts specifically in Hollywood to do that. And it, it's awesome. Well, and even we all three mentioned, we didn't talk about this before. We all three mentioned that the opening credits coming on at 11 minutes in, it throws you off. And so yeah, right. there's it right from the get go, you're kind of just thrown off, like within, you know, within what, four minutes he's proposing to Ed. Yeah, and right. so then, they're, then they get married at like minute six or something, minute six or seven, they get married. And you're like, man, this movie is just kind of, it's almost a little bit like up now. I didn't think of that till just now. But oh, that's true. Yeah. The first 10, 15 minutes. It's almost like how much of these people's story can we kind of tell in the first 10 minutes? Because in screenwriting term, you would call it laying too much pipe. You mm-hmm. really don't mm-hmm. need to tell as much backstory as you think. Um, right. it's, it's actually more enjoyable to come in when the crime is about to happen. You don't need to know right. the driving up to the store. You want to see some action, you know? Right. And, um, and th- those first, the first 10 minutes of the movie, you know, if this were a screenplay, what's, what's the saying, you know, that the, um, you know, uh, producers, you know, they'll read the first 10 minutes of a, of a script and then throw it in the garbage if it doesn't right. grab them. Well, if I were reading this one, it, it would probably grab me in, in like two to three minutes, you know, pages. Yeah. Oh yeah. The, the dialogue is so snappy between it. I love right. Holly Hunter though. She's just so funny and everything she does. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. But even the, just the character, the character of her voice is even just so intriguing. Just, you know, hearing her talk. Right. Yeah. But I, I want to go back to the cinematography real quick. I was so impressed. So many different styles of cinematography in this movie. Like you were saying, it's like frantic, like when they're they're running through like the house uh, when Nicolas Cage yeah. is being chased. They run yeah. into the grocery store. The 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 cop has like unlimited bullets, apparently. Yes, and guns. Just shooting yeah. everywhere. Shooting randomly yeah. everywhere. Apparently in Arizona. Like, oh yeah, I forgot to say there's a there's an actual school, uh, like I think called Florence, Arizona, and they wanted they did not want to be associated with this movie because of the recklessness <laughs> that they people yeah. have showed in this. Which I thought that was pretty yeah. funny, but yeah. yeah, just that, and then like also, for example, like the one shot, which is kind of a classic shot, but like when the baby's sitting in the the carrier in the middle of the of the of the yeah. road, and then they've come flying up and they stop right before that that scene was shot in reverse, but like that's, that's a classic old school yeah. scene. So they have like new. Yeah like groundbreaking techniques and then they they pay homage to these older ones and they have like that homage to the dr strange love on when they're in the um in the prison and so they've got like what is that ope that's on the wall 
And, oh, yeah. and I was like, oh, that because I saw that and I was like, wait, that's a Kubrick thing. And I know it's in The Shining, too, but that started from Dr. Strangelove. Hmm. So, yeah. And this is also. I, yeah. No, no, go ahead. Well, I, I was going to say, I think the I, I think and it's before my time, but I think the uh, the police story television show was the one to have the camera on the top of the police car. And then you would just see the lights and they would go into all different scenes. Oh, are you talking yeah. about Adam 12? Or Adam 12. Yeah. yeah. Adam 12. So I think they did that when, um, you know, like when he, they're following through the house and there's clearly <laughs> some parts where the camera's just going through and, um, yeah. yeah. and you know, when it, when it says, I think it's around the 25 minute mark when he says, Oh, when he has his first dream and he says, I, re- I realized the, you know, the, the hell, the, the fury that was going to be released when Florence, Arizona realized one of her babies was gone and the camera goes up over the fountain. Right. Uh, right. <laughs> possible for a cameraman even with steady cam to do right um, you know what uh, i bet how do, they did that um, though it's just it's hilarious how the camera follows and then goes up the ladder right and right into her mouth i think that's an homage to those adam 12 type of the intro well that makes sense that one was specifically to um, evil dead because i know in the evil dead they just put the camera on a plank and then they were two people were running si- on both sides of the plank. And so they they probably did that. But I totally know what you're saying with the Adam 12 shot with uh, other sequences with that. Like oh, the one thing that's funny that also there is um, oh, he's supposed to be what's his name? Leonard Snoots is supposed to be. Wait, no, that's not Leonard. Smalls. Leonard Smalls. So biker dude. Yeah. He, Leonard. Yeah. He's supposed to be riding a Harley, but it was actually a Honda shadow that they had like put <laughs> stuff over. And they did that specifically because they wrecked the bike at the end. So it was a lot cheaper for them to, to wreck a Honda. Wreck a Honda. Nice. Yeah. And so I thought that was hilarious, but apparently uh, Randall Cobb had, did not really ride motorcycles. So the part when he like rides up to see, uh, where the brothers escaped from the the hole he rode into the hole apparently by accident and so i was like oh, that's pretty intense i know i was reading about him today and apparently that guy was just an absolute force of nature just right loud and big and just yeah. kind of kind of a wwe kind of you know personality really I'm look, just looking real quick to see. Well, speaking of while you're looking, else. going along with the cinematography, I just thought it was super cool to go back and see a little bit of the evolution of Joel Cohen's vision, you know, cinematically from the very slapsticky, spastic kind of, you know, uh, filming that happened in this movie. And then even jumping ahead to Oh Brother and, you know, Burn After Reading or yeah. um, Lady Killers. And it's just, it's a lot smoother and a little, and I, I don't want to say artistic because what he did in, in this movie is artistic, but there's definitely, I think, just some maturity and some polish that came along later. So it was kind of kind of cool to see where he came from and then, you know, ended up more recently, comedy yeah. speaking, or comedically speaking, you know, with a, his angles and whatnot. Yeah. There's so many parts I, in this movie that are just so goofy. Like, like the part when he's robbing the convenience store again and Holly Hunter's yelling at him like, how dare you? And he's just like bobbing back and forth. And he's like, oh, that's my wife. Hang on. And, <laughs> hurry, yeah. hurry it up. I'm in Dutch with the wife. <laughs> that's right. Hurry it up. Hurry it up, boy. <laughs> yeah. There's just, there's just so many little sequences like that. I just... Yeah, this was so good with Nicolas Cage. Like the part when he keeps picking up the babies and he's like, quiet, quiet. And he's just yes. doing all that. Just juggling babies. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, just, the, and, the, and the dialogue, my gosh. I mean, the dialogue. Yes. Let me get my charge. The, the, the dialogue is what I also what I want to talk about. It's so, I mean, I learned straight up vocabulary words from this movie yeah. when I first saw it. Yes. I mean, uh, and, and it's the way that they use it. It's It's just a poetic nobody else does it. And, um, you know, there's just, there's so many, it almost, it's it, the movies obviously set in Arizona, but, but you would think like you were going back to the 1940s in the South. Um, yes. Yeah. Yes. A lot of the birds are like, you would hear an old brother where art thou or something. He says, you know, well, he says I'm in Dutch with the wife, but, but even they ask him, uh, do you know what recidivism means, boy? Right. You know, right. <laughs> At the parole hearing. <laughs> yeah. And I remember thinking recidivism and he's like, well, you know, uh, factually most, you know, men your age, have, you know, and they're just, it, it's just, uh, crazy how many different, you know, words they use that are, you just don't hear. Um, right. And, and well, even, 
Yeah, when Jim, when John Goodman and William Forsythe get out of the jail and they say, and they say, "Ma'am, we were just about to tell your better half here that uh, you know we're really right. talking about you know dumb luck that they just they just have a way with dialogue in this movie." Yes, like, yeah, they nail that. Like you said, you said it that old timey, you know, speech and and grammar yeah. and just the you know the. Yeah, it, they absolutely have mastered that. And every time they use it, and even when they go into like a serious role, like some of my favorite dialogue from them is in Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Which, oh brother, sorry, um, No Country for Old Men, yeah. which is, I mean, that's a straight Western right there. And just the the somber, very classic kind of Western way of delivering lines. And, but they just, yeah. they nail it. They go back in time and it's, it's amazing. Yeah. yeah. And even though it's based on a book that they didn't write, they, you know, right. they didn't write that book, but they still are able to place their vocabulary, you know, in it. And right. And, and especially a movie like No Country. I mean, Cormac McCarthy, that dude, you want to talk about throwing $5 words around. Yeah. That guy yeah. is ridiculous for doing yeah. that. And yet they, you know, they respect him and what he wrote in that book. And then they're able, like you said, it's, it's still their movie. It's still, it's like they, it's still their story. It's amazing. Yeah, that that movie has grown on me a lot. But um, I I just realized one of the 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 opening uh, in the first ten minutes when, you know, when they when when she finds out that she can't have a child and oh. and, <laughs> and, uh, and Nicholas Cage says, you know, the doctor explained that her insides were a rocky place where my seed could find no purchase. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, who would who would write that and and who would write that and think that a Hollywood producer would even understand what you're talking about right but i think because they were a team and they already had some clout they could i think they could get away with it i uh, right yeah they they said that they had the the screenplay and the storyboards completely done so when they went in to to pitch for five million dollars to do the movie they had to have everything meticulously done so otherwise they wouldn't have gotten the money because they originally wanted to do the hudsucker proxy as their second movie but that's a 40 million dollar movie so they couldn't do that Right, right. Yeah, that was the one they did after, yeah. right? Is that their next one? Uh, oh, I think no, they did Miller's, Miller's Crossing. Crossing. Yeah, yeah, Miller's Crossing. Yeah, Hudsucker was great too, but but this one just has an edge that is that not all of their movies have. It's 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 fun, but it's got well. I mean, they're kidnapping a baby. It's, it's <laughs> right. <laughs> I right. was telling I'll, my wife the story of the <laughs> like the the plot. I was like, "Do you want to watch this with me?" She's like, well, "What's it about?" And I was telling them the plot, and I was like, "It's okay. It's actually funny. It's not. It's not bad. It's, it yeah. sounds super dark." But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that was well. Even funny. even the father, you know, Nathan Arizona at the end. I mean, they just these people kidnapped his child, and his child was missing for you know, 48 hours or something. And he's just like, okay with it. <laughs> like, right. you seem like, you seem like good people who made a mistake. It's all right. You know? <laughs> but in this, in this world that they created, I buy it though. It didn't, that didn't mm-hmm. pull me out of the movie. I was like, that totally right? makes sense right. with him. And they, I com- completely agree. I mean, they just, Nicholas Cage just seems like a pretty decent guy. I mean, he just seems like a guy who truly is, genuinely trying to do the right thing for his family or his wife or what, you know, whatever. And and again, going back to the not lost dialogue, they say it at the parole hearing, uh, son, you never use live ammo, so we can't keep you. So the fact that he doesn't use live ammo, it, it, you go, well, I guess I can't be too upset at him. He's only hurting himself. Right. And, uh, and I just not real smart. Yeah. Yeah. But, but no, that's, uh, that's a good point. And it's, it goes to, I will tell you that that moment of, of them kidnapping the baby, that was when I became a believer in the story structure model, um, Mm that I became, I became a moderator of a, of a writer's group in LA because I, I doubted it. Like everyone else, you read it and it sounds like a formula and you're like, I don't want to make a formula movie and I want to make exciting movies that are different with interesting characters. And then at, at minute number 12 or page 12 in the script, that's when the catalyst of every movie is supposed to happen or some, some people call it the inciting incident. So it's when uh, Obi-Wan asks Luke, I want you to come with me to Alderaan. Mm-hmm. 
right? Mm-hmm. That's the that's the catalyst, an outside force grabbing a hero onto the journey. So I didn't believe it like anyone else. And I was like, what? Well, I'm going to put in a movie that I know is not going to follow this this tight, ridiculous structure. And I put in Raising Arizona and I left the, uh, the display on on my DVD player. And it said, and I'm not making this up, it's supposed to happen at minute number 12. It happens at 1226. And I still remember that. I even have to look it up. And there's, if you go back to the beginning, there's 20 seconds of opening credits. So if you, wow. you want to understand that story structure is not here to constrain the story, it's to get the most emotion out of a, an hour and a half or a two hour movie. And that's, we, we need to be, we need to, to know that this is an exciting story or an exciting journey worth taking. And we better be sucked in within the first 10 to 15 minutes or else we're probably going to find something else to do. And that, when I saw that, that it was at 1226, I'm like, oh my gosh. And then you think about, well, what could be more primal as far as a catalyst as stealing a baby? That right. Is, that is about, <laughs> you know, and, and, but not stealing a baby because you uh, are going to have a ransom. You're stealing right. a baby because of your own need. And yes. so the guy that I became a, a mentor, uh, became my mentor is, is the way he puts it is the, the catalyst has to be primal. It can't just be, you know, happy Gilmore wants to be a hockey player. No, he's even, it sounds cheesy. He's got to raise money to buy his grandmother, save his grandmother's right. house. Right. So, so this, the, the primal part of this is so genius that they're they're gonna take a baby but it's because they got more than they can handle (laughs) right (laughs) they won't even notice it's so they're not malicious at all it's so not malicious and even like jeremy was saying earlier when you see Nicolas Cage juggling all these babies and he's trying to like be gentle with them and, you know, right. take care for them while he's trying to kidnap one of them. Oh uh, yeah. No, and they, yeah. And they, and they look like they've got the upper hand. That's what's Oh, I know constantly. <laughs> I'm trying to remember. There was one thing I was, I was going to Oh yeah. So I, I wanted to talk about, you were t- saying about the dialogue and I had read that they, they based a lot of the dialogue off of the King James version of the Bible and then old Southern magazines. And so that's where they pulled a lot of the dialogue that, from. Wow. Cause that's it sounds, totally, yeah. it yeah. sounds like a prairie. What is that? A prairie to home companion, like that style of almost of talking mixed with the, um, the, there's a movie. I'm trying to remember what it's called. I just blanked out. Oh yeah. Bone. Uh, what was that? Bone Tomahawk. Oh yeah. And that With movie. A, yeah. Yeah. That movie has excellent dialogue. The, it reminds like the dialogue here where they were using, like you were saying $5 words and stuff. That movie is chock full of that. And so I, it's like, if you have a, an education in the West uh, time back in the day, like you would use all of these different phrases and words and stuff. And so it's, yeah. it works. No, that makes sense. And that, and that, and they, you know, they are obviously they're Jewish, so they respect the old Testament. And so yeah. that, that's why you get some Bible verses in there. And, right. and that's why you get some of that verbiage, like, you know, the fury of Florence, Arizona type of thing. That's a biblical sounding right, right. phrase. Euf- Even euphemism. If, you know, that makes sense. The Southern, because like I said, it's it, the movie's Arizona, but you feel like you're yeah, like, oh, brother, where art thou? Like, and you're in the deep south in the 30s or 40s. So that actually yes. really makes sense. Yeah. Well, just their whole, the, you know, they have more they can handle. That just sounds like a southern concept. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's yeah. just born, in, it's, born in a barn or whatever. Right, right. Right. Yeah. It's funny. Yeah, it is. Well, I don't have too much more on my list of this stuff, actually. I, Alden, I was really enjoying what you were saying. We, we got to kind of actually start wrapping this up for our final thoughts before we roll into our final verdicts on this movie. Um, do you guys have anything else specifically you want to hit? I mean, yeah, I I would just, um, like I said, the, the, I know it's, I feel like it's a little bit a lot for people to ingest when they hear someone start talking about structure. So I don't want to overload, but I just think the first 25 minutes of this movie, if you ever have any inkling to get into story structure, you you're, even if you don't want to write this movie is, is just so great. The way the opening image of him, you know, it's a mugshot, uh, the setup, the theme, the theme, you know, where he, he had says Holly Hunter, Holly Hunter. You, so the theme is always stated by someone other than the main character. So Holly Hunter says the theme, but Nicholas Cage actually is narrating in her words. And he says the way she looked at it is there's too much love and beauty in this world to not share it with someone. Well, I mean, man, you want to talk about a deep, heavy Yes. Theme. And, and, and that's why this movie lasts, because 
it's a it looks like a goofball crazy dust kicking up movie with john goodman and he's chasing a baby in the <laughs> right but at its core is a primal theme that how many people even right now in this world can relate to wanting to have a child and not being able to have a child yeah. yes right yeah. and then and then you look at someone else and you see that they've got prosperity or fertility or whatever right and you want some of that and then but these people, despite all their craziness, they don't have an they don't have a pessimistic view of the world. They've got right. an optimistic world that this world, despite all its craziness with all these characters, and even though we've got the lone biker of the apocalypse, right? <laughs> um, yeah. right? you should have been despite in a Mad Max movie. Of, oh my right. god. Um, <laughs> And, and he's actually in a movie called Uncommon Valor. If you want to watch a fun '80s throwaway guy movie, oh, that sounds side awesome. note, yeah. Um, and actually, he's—I think he's a BMX biker in it, oddly enough. But anyway, really, yeah, I just connection full, full circle, <laughs> full circle. But um, with all those crazy characters, I love that the theme is primal and human that everyone can relate to of wanting a baby. And then you bit off more than you bargained for. And now you're going to save the baby. And from the gates of hell, I mean, that right. is, that's why these movies don't go out of style because right. you could still watch it and you still, you want Nicolas Cage to make it. And I, the last thing I'll say is the genre of this movie is called what we call a, a, a golden fleece. And what that means is that, we don't necessarily know at the end of the movie, whether he, they got it or not. Yeah. So, um, you know, in die hard, die hard is, is the genre is, is called a dude with a problem. Here's a regular dude and he's got an extraordinary problem. And yeah. so we know when that gets resolved, um, his marriage is going out and he's got terrorists in his building, but, <laughs> um, you know, by the way, but the, the, the golden fleece, like my 30 bikes at the end, even though I find what I thought I was looking for, it's up to the audience as to was the journey worth it. And, yeah. you know, so they don't get spoiler alert. They don't, they give back the baby, but then they give them the football. So they're still involved with his life and they, maybe realize in whatever way that their life still had meaning. But anyway, it's just, it's just a great movie on so many levels. And we didn't even talk that much about the John Goodman and William Forsyth. I mean, they, what they bring into the movie of they, of drawing Nicholas Cage through his arc. So they're what's called the B story. The Mr. Miyagi, if you want to think of it like Mr. Miyagi or um, Alan Rickman in Die Hard, these B story characters pull the lead character and make them change. And, right. and so they try to draw him into his old life and come on HI, you know, we got, a, <laughs> we got a big score for you, you know? Right. And, and then at the end, the, what they do is they steal what matters and they make him fight for it. They make right. him, Fight for what he said he cared about. And I, mean, yeah. I don't think there's anything more noble than fighting for something that you're going to have to give up. He, they yeah. fight for a baby that they're going to give back. I mean, right. it's just, it's just like, again, I mean, I can just go on, but this, the yeah. brothers, that's why, Oh brother, we're out there. That's why people love that movie is because it harkens back to ancient storytelling that is never going to go out of style. And they yeah. do that maybe better than anyone else. We could talk about that on a later episode, but they, they hearken back to these time proven stories and that's why their stories. That's why now they can, you know, make whatever the movie they want, but that's right. They, they've given, they've given us a gift. They really have. Yeah, they absolutely have. There's so much heart and love, you know, encapsulated in that. And like you said, it just, it never goes out of style. It doesn't matter that this movie was, you know, 30 years old and right it still relates to I me, mean, Jeremy talking about, you know, the, the baby aspect of it. And, and I relate as, you know, a father at times having to, you know, do whatever it takes to provide for the family or just, it just, it gets you wherever you're at, it gets you, you know, the thing that you, you know, want that you can't have or don't have. And right. Right. Nailed That's what it. makes it timeless. Nailed it, man. Yep. Josh, you got any closing thoughts before we do the final verdict? Ah, that is, that was it, man. I just, except that I love the dream ending and I love how like no country ends with Tommy Lee Jones talking about a dream. And that that's just, it. I feel like th their movies just, they're always great. Their endings are always amazing. They just, I don't know. They leave you just thoughtful in yeah. whatever way, whether it's imagery or whether it's a line. 
um, you know, just the way he ends it with, you know, maybe it was Utah, you know, just, <laughs> just kind <laughs> yeah, of a little curveball at the they end. They just there. throw it in there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they always, they leave yeah. you with a laugh. Yeah. They do. They do. I just, every, like I said, it's either thoughtful or funny or something. They just, they always, a lot of, a lot of movies don't, you know, it'd be a great movie, but the ending is meh or it's terrible. Right. And uh, I just don't think they end, end their movies, you know, bad at all. So that's all. Well, we were going into, so this is going into actually how we rate the movie actually with the four, oh, right. the four categories. So yeah, this is perfect. So the, the first number one, we is the level of impact and success it had when it was released. So we rate this on like a through F on like, okay. how well do you think when it came out? That's why we like to do movies that are older. So that way you can see if it actually is still relevant or if it right. just like, bombed and then now it's expected it's amazing like blade runner for example but um so yeah for the level of impact and success it had when it was released money wise they definitely this is one of their most profitable movies um so what do you guys think about the level of impact on this yeah i mean i i don't like i said i saw i saw it on video even though i was alive but um i i yeah i just remember thinking it was it, it didn't really grasp because it was so out there but i'm glad to know that it made it made enough money that they could you know have some clout and go on and make another one yeah right yeah, yeah i would have to give it a well, I, know, I was going to give it a B, but maybe an A. I mean, just based on a $5 million or $6 million budget and making $30 million, I mean, that's, right. a good that's, that is a huge return on your investment. So, I right. mean, I, I guess you have to say it's an A even, especially yeah. for a, a very kind of indie type movie. Yeah, right. I give it an A. Yeah. 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 I think A minus. I think I would give it A minus, yeah. Cool. And, and we got number two, how relevant is it today? So uh, with it, I'll, I'll start first on this one. So Alden, you were bringing up a lot of great points on that. I'm trying to think though that I don't know. Well, I'm interested to hear your perspective on this, like regarding <laughs> film school. But for me, just kind of looking at this from uh, just a fan of the Coen Brothers and stuff, this isn't one of the ones that to me stands out. Um, that's talked about a lot. Like for example, the Big Lebowski is probably that's right. a huge one. And then uh, I'm trying to think of. Uh, lady killers but like oh brother we're out though though that's also kind of relevant because that was the first movie that was digitally colorized so that has mm. its spot in mm. cinema but um so this one i would give it a probably a c for is it still relevant because it is a classic but it's not really talked about um as much as it used to be yeah so i would i would put it in the category of lost classics for them i would mm -hmm. i would i mean i give it a b minus probably for that category if i had to but i think it's one that if people discover like the hudsucker proxy people discover it and they and they go oh man that was a lot of fun with great dialogue right. a little right. bizarro but i think it's a it's just one of those lost gems it's a it's a little too long ago and it it just has a tendency to slip under the radar and i think like we already talked about because nicholas cage didn't go on to other coen brothers movies right people kind of stick with the pantheon of their big ones you know right and i think that yeah. actually because he didn't go on with them it look people look at this movie as kind of like oh it's kind of the offsetting one with Nicolas Cage, right. which instead of like now you when you think of John Goodman you're like well he's in a ton of Coen Brothers movies that's just one one right. of the the guys but then Nicolas Cage though you're like well he goes on to do other stuff and so they kind of just split <laughs> so what right. yeah but anyways Josh what do you think uh, I'm right there yeah. I'm either a C plus or a B minus on on that it seems like people our age are a little bit uh, older just they they are ones that have a fond memory of you know oh yeah aries in arizona i love that movie but as far right. as when you talk coen brothers to people in general yeah you definitely get i mean lebowski that's you know you go into to the, i would topic, say and there's probably something you know big lebowski and hot topic still oh um, yeah and Fargo, but, I feel like Fargo's up there. Oh, right. Well, yeah. especially with the, the success of the TV show. The TV I mean, that's show, definitely right. boosted right. the movie back up again. Right. right. Um, so, yeah, I think it's, uh, yeah, Lost Classic is absolutely it. I think if you're any kind of a film fan and say you're working your way through their catalog and you hadn't seen it, you know, like myself, I mean, I love it. Great movie. Yeah. 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 But I, you know, I would have thought about it in the past as, you know, like I just wasn't in a hurry to get to it, but you know, right. so glad I did. <laughs> right. Well, it's kind of funny. Well, that, that almost that same thing happened to you though, with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre where you're like, you had no, mm -hmm. you did not want to watch that movie. And I, and I picked it and you watched it and you ended up loving it for, but, not for, it. <laughs> but for filmmaking reasons, just on it, on how it's made. 
Well, right. that's, why the, that's what you, why you're doing your podcast, right? So you're, exactly. you're a recipient of your own uh, purpose. Right. Yes. I mean, yeah. I started, I wanted to start this podcast to make Josh watch movies that he would never watch, you know? <laughs> so, so well, far, success. Yeah, success. we got, so we got three so far. Um, <laughs> the, this one, number, number three is uh, three. Number three, our own personal enjoyment of the movie. So, Josh, what is your personal enjoyment of this movie? Um, I would give this a B plus. I, I really liked it. It's definitely, it, you know, it's not my favorite of the Coen brothers, but it made me laugh. I actually ended up rewatching the first 15 minutes of the movie by accident. I tried to watch it yesterday and then something came up and I had to stop. And then today I'm like, well, I might as well just start at the beginning again. And like you said, Alden, that first 15, 20 minutes, I mean, that's, that's the meat oh, part yeah. of the movie. So I was super excited. I'll just be burned in my mind forever. That first 15. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I would give it, I would give it an A plus plus. It's not, it's not my favorite necessarily Coen brothers, but it's just, it's um, you know there some there are some people out there that don't can't watch movies again. The reason I give it such high marks is because if it's a, it's a movie that I want to watch again because they've created a world that I like to enter. Yeah. So there there's people that say, well, I can't watch a movie I already saw it, but it's not because I I don't want to hear the lines again or I do. It's because the world is so bizarre that if I'm in the mood to go in that world, they've done such a great job. That's why I give it an A plus in my book, because, well, like, like the Big Lebowski is one of those where if you want to think about bowling and, you know, <laughs> and just being a dude in L.A., you will watch that movie before that world. Right. I mean, obviously, so. we're not golfers. but um, <laughs> <laughs> So with for me, um, I. I, I th this is why I like the different ratings for this because everybody has a different slight rating. Like we were, we were dissing Roger Ebert cause he didn't like the movie, but, but it's his own personal opinion. And that's what makes it special. And so like, for me, I actually, I'm going to rate this lower than you guys where I'm going to give it probably a D minus for personal enjoyment where not D minus C minus. Um, like I liked it, but I, I, probably won't really watch this one very often it's not something that i come back to all the time but i will say though alden with what you were explaining about the opening with this and especially how i'm in the middle i'm starting to write a screenplay so while you were talking i was like i gotta write this down i'm gonna like, like everything you're saying um i think that's fantastic and i'm gonna go back and watch that again and i will say like i love the beginning part when the yodeling hits at the 11 minute mark it hits hard it just immediately you're like oh we're in for a ride so it is a totally solid movie just for me i probably won't really watch this movie too too much but that's just a personal choice so yeah uh, let's go to the the big one right now. Number four for me is it a midnight watch? It's it's not a midnight watch for me. But uh, what about you guys? I think if you're in the right mood, yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking because he's searching for Huggy's diapers at midnight, and and when they're driving around in the streets, grabbing the baby, that is such an iconic shot. It's in the trailer. Obviously, whoever's editing their that trailer is is like, oh, you guys gave me gold. So when his when his arm goes out of the the car, they grab the baby. I mean, I, I would put it as a midnight watch. Yes. Nice. So I got to give it, I'm going to give it a half a midnight watch only because like I've said before on other episodes or other movies that we've covered, if depending on when the movie was on, depending on the scene that was on, right. I would watch the scene. You're right. If it was, if, it, if he was getting chased uh, by yes. a cop in the convenience store, with you're, the diapers, you're going to watch it. You're, you're not gonna, turning it off. That's, right. that's, right. that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. There, no, absolutely. There, there is a ton of of great sequences in this, and like, there, honest, I haven't watched the Coen Brothers movie that I didn't like. So you're gonna enjoy it, um, you know. Yeah. Anyways, but I think that wraps it up right now. Alden, where can we find you? What's a plug for yeah. online or anything? Yeah, thank you. It's my my name, AldenOlmstead.com, is my website. You can find uh, latest films that I'm working on, and Thirty Bikes is watchable right now on Vimeo on demand. So. I, I think if you typed in 30 bikes Vimeo, V-I-M-E-O, you, you'd probably find it and uh, you can watch it in HD right now. The book, A Virus Ate My Movie, will be out in three to four months. Uh, actual brand new Homestead bikes are being welded right now in Sonoma County. So, Dude, I, I wanted to know that. I was like, yeah. I, I was like, yeah. oh, I'm so interested. Like, I don't, I'm not into the BMX stuff, but the, your movie was like, okay, now I got to know what happens. <laughs> That's what everyone wants to say. And you, well, there was a guy in Oklahoma. We went through your town, right? Right. It was towards the end. Yeah. 
That's awesome. Well, that yeah, that wraps up today's episode. Thank you guys. If you want to check out this movie, I rented it on Amazon Prime. Where did you guys watch it? I my my DVD is in storage, so I actually rewatched it on I, on YouTube. I just did it on YouTube, but it's it's great. Yeah, cool. Watched yeah, I, the full movie. I uh, rented it on uh, iTunes. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, thanks for being on here, man. It was sure. absolute pleasure. We're gonna have to have you on again. Yeah, do this again. This this was a lot of fun. So yeah, I'm, I'm in the mood to go watch. Uh, I think I'm gonna go watch Country No Country for Old Men. Yeah, yeah. I'm, <laughs> that, I'm in the mood now. Yeah, that movie has like one of the greatest endings. I I love oh. just how it ends so yeah. much. Well, this was awesome. We got to have you back on the show, man. Thank you again. It was so much fun doing this. Special thanks to our sound producer, Jake Colvin. If you guys had as much fun as we did on this episode, we'd love it if you shared it with your family, friends, and anyone you think would like it. Please subscribe, rate, and review our podcast. Uh, We're found on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, and many other platforms. Also, we'd love it if you visit our Instagram or Facebook page and join the conversation on what is your midnight watch. And uh, you can directly reach us at the Midnight Watch Podcast at gmail.com. Okay, everyone, you have a fantastic week, and as always, keep up the watch.